Doesn't the world look brighter after a Norwich City win? Even if some of the questions haven't been fully answered, it was uh, much needed, certainly for Dean Smith, certainly for Norwich City, and certainly for those supporters. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. I'm Connor Southwell, and we're joined after a 3 1 win against Alex Neil Stoke by Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman. Um, plenty to discuss, chaps. But Pad, I mean, we, we sat, um, when was it, Wednesday we recorded it. It was a bit of an inquest pod, wasn't it, really, after the, the defeat to Burnley about where Norwich City were um, as a club. I, I, I still think there are, there's plenty of elements of that performance today that, as I said, probably hasn't answered a lot of those concerns. But a win was what was needed. A win was what was delivered. Absolutely. And to be fair to Dean Smith, his post-match press there at Carrow Road after that game called it stodgy performance. And I think that was that encapsulates it perfectly because by no manner of means was it the leap forward in terms of performance, in terms of structure, in terms of approach with the ball, you know, that, that he continually is um, questioned on and, and more so on this recent one win in eight um, because it wasn't being masked by the results. Today they get the result. But um, you know the, the the issues around performance are still there. But what today was was kind of to turn the clock back to that nine game. I think it was winning run, where again performances were not really at the level of consistency you'd like to see or hope to see. But whether it was individual quality or or just um, resolution and you know digging in at times. I think back to the Sunderland game where they weren't there and really had to put their bodies on the line for large parts of that game. So it was more a, a revision to that. And of course, they get the result as well. And, and the goals were quality, you know, the, the passes, the, the movement and the finishing as well. So they're the positives, but I wouldn't disagree with Dean Smith. That was a stodgy win, uh, but a win nonetheless. And after four defeats in five um, and some serious questions around Dean Smith and his future, maybe externally more than internally, uh, we're not talking about that tonight and that that marks a step forward but it can only be a start and again Dean Smith was very clear to point out this was the first of a four game swing into the World Cup break QPR being the next one at Cairo midweek coming uh, and they need to continue on and if they can I don't know nine points save from these four games then the world looks a brighter place the league position the points on the board uh, there's a degree then of optimism and okay there'd still be plenty of hard work ahead the other side of the international shutdown for the World Cup domestic shutdown but um, at least we wouldn't be you know spending the most part of that month you know if Dean Smith was still in post um, questioning how long he's got because um, you know there's one thing that will insulate him and that is results uh, and the questions about performance and style of play and structure with the ball they'll persist and nothing we saw today would address those ones, I don't think. But you can't argue with the fact they've scored three goals and very nearly kept a clean sheet. Stokes' equal, uh, consolation coming there deep in stoppage time. But um, badly needed. because uh, And you sensed it in the first half when it was very workmanlike. Some of the misplaced passes and the crowd were you know, voicing their dissatisfaction. And that would have only grown and grown, particularly if Stoke had got their noses in front. So... What could have been a toxic afternoon turned into a, a positive afternoon, but still with more questions and answers. I think, but you can only you can only put a win on the board, and they did that. So, um, yeah, brief respite. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it, I completely agree with what you said. You you could have picked that result up and and almost slotted it straight in the middle of that winning run where they were perhaps winning games but not being particularly convincing in doing so. It kind of felt like another one of those today. But given the pressure and the mood around the place, I mean, obviously I wasn't in the press conference for you guys, but um, Dean Smith described it as as edgy uh, as he kind of made his way through. And uh, there was an edginess around Carrow. I felt you could you could sense that Sam actually in terms of the atmosphere, and it's natural given the run that's been on, given the external pressure that has has been on Dean Smith in particular. They almost had to manage that as well as manage the game. I, I, I felt. Would, would would you kind of agree? What, what did you make of the atmosphere inside Carrow today? Yeah, I think they probably scored a goal when they needed one most. There was a little bit of that sort of tetchiness in that atmosphere, maybe getting more and more tense as things went on. And I thought they managed to keep a lid on it to an extent with Ono Hernandez, who obviously is a, a fan favourite and got on the ball plenty early on and, and took the ball to the byline, earned a few corners. And I know that didn't really end in anything tangible, but I think it did enough in the early stages to keep the crowd entertained, if you will, keep them alongside the team. And if they'd conceded a goal, I think... Possibly things would have turned sour very quickly in Carrow Road, but thankfully for them, Stoke didn't finish their chances. They still had those bursts of um, offensive danger, and although it wasn't a great performance at all, I think they did, they did enough to pacify the crowd for, for large parts, and actually they scored that second. It was almost the pattern repeating itself. They scored the first half 38 minutes when you felt that a little bit longer without really threatening the, the Stoke goal and maybe people would start to turn. And then in the second half, when I thought it actually was most tense, despite them being 1-0 up, um, I remember Ono Hernandez got booed off. Well, he didn't get booed off, sorry. He he was replaced and it was booed um, because of sort of the, the impact on the, the crowd that he has and the fan favourite status that he boasts. But um, they scored that second goal right as that was sort of getting to its peak. I think Stoke came the closest to scoring a goal when Nick Powell headed over the bar with the goal at his mercy really and they scored the second goal right after that so um, I don't want to say they were fortunate with them when those goals went in obviously it's their own work and you know you can't discredit work that they've done to to score those goals but you do get the sense that perhaps they took things to the real limit in terms of how much leeway they had from that Carrow Road crowd Um you know, there were large parts that were unoccupied compared to their own high standards, to be fair, not compared to the rest of the championship. Compared to the rest of the championship, it was absolutely packed. But you got the sense going into the game that the the supporter base really wasn't particularly happy. And um, I think they've left it, if not totally happy, in a much better position going into a big game on Wednesday against a very good side in QPR. Um than they were previously. So on that front, they've managed to ward off the danger for a little bit and probably even a loss on Wednesday, I don't think, means it would get as toxic as it maybe would have done had they gone 1-0 down um, today. But, you know, let's be clear, you can't keep kicking the, the can down the road. This form needs to, or this game needs to turn into form and it needs to be a performance that's, or at least a result that's repeated. Um and they haven't really achieved much yet in terms of their, their goal for automatic promotion at the end of the season. So they're not quite there. Um, they've certainly found a temporary fix this afternoon, but they're going to have to turn it into a permanent one if they really want those um, those worries to, to go away for the mid to long term. 
Yeah, it, it needs to be the start of something, doesn't it? I think we've we've kind of seen false dawns with the winning run before. It, it needs to be not just results improving, but but also performances and, and probably bursts in games becoming prolonged periods. I, I think we're not really seeing that. And again, Paddy, it, it was probably a burst, wasn't it, that, that, that carried Norwich City over the line in the end. It was... Sam referenced that substitution um, on El Hernandez and, uh, and Isaac Hayden being replaced by Todd Campwell and, and Marcelino Nunez. It, it, it completely altered Norwich City's dynamic, their tempo. And for 20 minutes, it looked like the team that probably everyone has been waiting to see, didn't it? I mean, I mean, obviously, we have to place it in the context of perhaps the 70 minutes that went before it. But it was certainly a step in the direction and probably showed why... I know people maybe feel they've they've been criticised too much, but probably feels like why that criticism has been there because that that's the standard and the quality of these players, but also this group and and what kind of the levels people know they can hit when they're when they're on form. Yeah, I mean, what I found interesting was the second and the third goals was essentially Norwich counter attacking. It was Stoke committing bodies forward at that stage, trying to chase a way back into the game, and you know, in this wider debate about style and what suits this group of players under this head coach you know maybe they are better counter-attacking sides the only issue with that is of course particularly at Carrow Road most teams would possibly regress to a low block and, and let Norwich have the ball and try and break them down Stoke didn't to be to be honest they they tried to be progressive and, and push Norwich back and had a fair degree of success but you know the manner of the goals two and three while clinically finished um, the backdrop was too many men the wrong side of the ball for Stoke and, and Norwich breaking at speed and um, you know when they play like that they do they do look like a very uh, effective unit going forward um, but again yeah over, over the 90 minutes we didn't see and, and to be fair even the first goal albeit it wasn't um, a fully fledged counter but what it was was a turnover and, and again my mind goes back to uh, the Coventry game uh, when Pookie scores from Nunes locking onto Gustavo Hamer and, and winning the, the ball high up in the opposition half. And, and Dean Smith has talked often about that ability to press and force turnovers in the opposition half. And credit to Liam Gibbs, that's how that first goal was sourced. So, again, from a an aesthetic, there's a bit of frustration because you can see in all three goals what could work for a Norwich team under Dean Smith. And... Uh, but it's extracting that over, you know, more than clusters of minutes within games, and um, and that's remaining pretty elusive at the minute. But and I thought also today, and we've talked about it, and it hasn't really held water given the results they've been on. But the depth of squad, you know, they've been able to introduce Nunes, Zara, and Cantwell. All three of them had major contributions for the goals two and three, um, and that depth of resource that Norwich still possess probably does over the entirety of this championship season although it's been fairly bumpy at the minute it probably does uh, push them in and around the top six now whether they can go on or even better get into the top two time will tell but I think having that squad depth um, will will probably over the entirety mean they are in the playoff mix at least all the way through Um, and when they've got players of the ability in forward areas of account, well, Nunes are at this level, with, of course, Pookie and Ramsey, worth noting today, his first two goals since he joined from Villa on loan, there is potential to score goals and, and create assists. But again, sounds like a broken record. How does Dean Smith meld those players into a, 
style of play or a pattern of play that more often than not allows Norwich to have that control and composure that you know we only need to go back three or four days. Burnley, uh, and they've won again today uh, to, to go two points clear at the top. You know They had a very clear style um, and a template and all the players were clearly very comfortable within that system and just the cohesiveness and the control and the composure. That's what I would like personally to see coming through from a Dean Smith Norwich side. And, and as yet, we haven't seen that. So that's the challenge. But while he's wrestling with that complex equation, if he can pick up results between now and then, um, then all well and good. But you know, the fear is, of course, when the performances are patchy, it doesn't take much for the results to go the other way. And we've just gone through a period where that is the case. And of course, if you haven't got a template to fall back on, then it's much harder to turn it around. And as we saw, it took, you know, four defeats in five before we've uh, hopefully got a line in the sand. But, you know, that will be the concern moving forward again, albeit now they have a win to build on, is that the performance itself was, you know, um, fitful and and, uh, disjointed in many facets. But in the key moments of this game, where Stoke didn't have that cutting edge, and this was a point Alex Neal referenced after the game in his post-match presser, he felt the difference between the two sides was the clinical edge. Norwich had it, Stoke didn't. Yeah, agreed. I actually, I actually felt for long periods of the game, in in probably two thirds, Stoke were, were the better team for the majority of it. It was it was just that that final one where perhaps the the key difference was, and it and it does help Sam when you have players like Temu Puki, when you have players like Aaron Ramsey, uh, Todd Campwell when he came on, who I, who I thought was very good today, and we'll come back onto him. But having that individual quality means that even and, and we saw it throughout the winning run, really. There will be moments this season where Norwich don't play particularly well, or and that has been the case the majority of the time, to be fair. But when you have players of those quality, games can be decided on them, can't they? And it, it, it did kind of feel like that today because you, you look at the two moments really that mattered. One was was a bit of quality from Temu Puki creating a shot. Uh, you know, I think the goalkeeper could probably do better, although it did look like he was unsighted by a defender. And then there was there was also a bit for the second goal where I felt both Ramsey and Puki show quality when when they exchange passes. Um, and then obviously for the third goal, it was a Todd Campwell pass, wasn't it, after an excellent recovery run. So goals born really from from individual quality, which is which is kind of symptomatic of what Norwich City have been this season. Yeah, and when things have gone wrong, it's tended to be because they've got none of those players on form or capable to of providing that individual quality. You look at the last time they were in the Championship and there were difficult difficult games where maybe Daniel Farker's team weren't quite as fluid as they could be. Um, but, you know, you had the likes of Todd Campwell, Emi Buendia, Tamer Pukki, even Kieran Dowell at times towards the back end of that season, who were having great games on a really, really consistent basis. In fact, Buendia was pretty much a, an 8 out of 10 plus every single week. And um, it's not really a sustainable model to be basing your... Points getting on, I don't think, especially if Norwich have ambitions of staying in the Premier League in the longer term. But it's it's done the job on a number of occasions um, for Norwich this season. But it, it's difficult to construct an argument for Dean Smith, given the amount of pressure that he's been under in, in recent weeks, when it seems that the way that his team is grinding out wins is via the you know, much greater quality threshold they have than a number of the teams they play in this division. Um, so I think as as good as that is to see at times, Aaron Ramsey 
producing those sorts of moments at his young age is great to watch for a, a football fan and you know everybody knows that what Tamer Pookie can can produce and Norwich fans love seeing that but for the success of the team in the long term you want to see it coming from system and a, a reliable consistent um, thing that you can base things on you know you look at the performances of even the likes of Marcelino Nunez who at the start of the season was seen as a well I think people maybe even saw him as a a Buendia like find, you know, a a bargain for what a player he was. And as soon as he's sort of dipped in his performance, the midfields looked a lot less creative and they can rely on those sorts of chances being created a lot less than they, they did before. So, you know, we've seen in recent weeks with the way that they've played and also in the positive run that came before that, if the best players aren't on form then that rely reliability on um individual players to perform isn't really a good thing so yeah I'm sure Dean Smith is trying to work on ways that he can he can improve that output from the team as a whole and quite a lot of the criticism that's been levelled his way is that the the team is performing worse than some of its parts and if you look at the table and the quality that they have um, within the squad then I don't think you can argue against that point but there will be certain things like perhaps the second goal today, which, yes, it's it's several moments of individual quality, but it's the sort of goal that you can see teams reproducing on a regular basis if that's something they work on behind the scenes. And I don't believe, personally, you can score that goal if there hasn't been a lot of work on sort of movement patterns and how you attack as a team and how you go forward quickly. But perhaps that work hasn't been good enough to to be able to transmit it through the team for 90 minutes. And you mentioned it earlier um, I'm sure Norwich fans will be keen to see the sorts of things that, that Norwich are producing for 10, 20 minutes in a game across the 90 minutes. And given how effective that can be, you know, we saw in games like Huddersfield, Millwall today, that they can win championship games by doing that for 20 minutes. So imagine what a, a destructive team they could be if they managed to reproduce that on a consistent basis. So I suppose there's good news and bad news in that that department. But what you would say is that it's something you feel that if they can work on, and they can improve that. Um, you can only see the team getting better. The worry would be perhaps if they were overly reliant on a team structure and there was no way of getting better than they currently were and they were in and around the playoffs, there would be more worry about the long-term ambitions of the club. But you look at some of the talent in that squad, some of the things that those players are doing, and you feel that they can be producing that more often. And uh, in the long term, if Dean Smith is as good a coach as he sort of claims he is and as he suggested when he said that he's improved every team he's been at it should be good news for Norwich that they've got that quality yeah it's, and, that, and that exactly there is is why they're being held to such a high threshold and why maybe inside that there feels or they feel like there's been a lot of heavy criticism or a lot of people who have gone too fast too soon but it's only being measured against the the, the quality relative of the squad and also what maybe this team should be producing and where it should be and the sort of results it should be getting and what it should be functioning like as well. Um, and like you said, actually, the, the second goal, uh, bang on, is, is something that, that can be replicated and can be coached and can be um, a reason why they can improve in terms of their attacking output. And it's it's just about consistency from from here. Um, Pad, let's let's talk subs because, uh, you know, as we, as we kind of touched upon and, and, and worked our way around, it, it was a crucial moment in the game. Um, I, I, did, I did actually, before we get on to this, want to stand up for Kieran Dowell a little bit because there was a, 
I, I hope it was a cheer towards Sarah, but I, I don't know fully. But he, he had a little bit of a tough spell just before he, he got replaced, where, where he misplaced a, a few passes. I, I think his performance needs to be put in context a little bit. He's just come back from laryngitis. That's... That's not a nice illness to have. He's come back pretty quickly from that. I'm sure he's still feeling the effects of that in some form or another, given you know he had to withdraw with a shortness of breath. So I think we need to place it in that context before being too critical on him. But that substitute that we spoke, that substitution that we spoke about earlier, sorry, where it was Hernandez and Hayden coming off, Campwell and Nunez coming on, it it did spark life into a Norwich team and into a game that uh, again prior to that Stoke were having a period and it kind of felt like if nothing was changed in that moment that Stoke would have scored an equaliser. So for for all the criticism that Dean Smith's had, he deserves a bit of praise for that substitution, doesn't he? More than a bit, yeah, because, you know, many unflattering comparison with, with his predecessor. But in this regard, in, in terms of infecting games through use of subs, <coughs> excuse me, um, I think you'd have to say you'd, you'd give Smith the edge, even though the results overall in his 50 games as it is now today haven't been where they need to be over the span of two seasons, but he effectively sealed that game today with his changes and, and going for a more progressive approach in the middle of the park. Um, you see the second goal, it was Zara and Nunes combining, then it was worked to Zara, uh, sorry, to Nunes, he works it to Ramsey, links for Puki, a goal. And, uh, and the third goal um, was a tremendous pass from Cantwell down the sides for Nunes running on. First time shot on the run. Angle of the box, six-yard box, keeper parries it, and there's Zara. So, you know, if you're Dean Smith, your final instructions to those three to go and affect the game, well, they've delivered, and, that, and that's a testament to him. And also, on a more broader point, he's made six changes today from, from the Burnley team, which tells you what he thought of the Burnley performance, I think. Um, and whereas there were a few eyebrows raised at two o'clock this afternoon, um, you know, he's got the result. And, and the, the changes that he made... Um, in terms of the second half introductions, they they had the desired effect. So, um, yeah, that's that's a testament to Dean Smith today um, that he has, in a positive fashion, um, sealed that victory. Um, and also, of course, Ramsey was one of the six who came in. So, who scored the first goal before, before half time? So, um, you know, all in all, Dean Smith has had a very good day today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sam, one one of those players that came on, Todd Campwell. I mean, if we're talking about people who get held sorry, to high expectations and whose former performances have maybe created a higher threshold. He, he certainly falls into that category and I think, you know, probably by his own omission hasn't perhaps hit the heights at Norwich City that, that many expected when he when he um, really sort of burst onto the scene in many senses, particularly in that Premier League campaign. Um, very good when he came on. I thought he was pretty good at Sheffield United actually under the radar. Burnley was, was a tough night, I think, for, for most in yellow and green. Felt he was probably a little bit harsh to lose his place in the team, actually. But quietly, slowly but surely, it feels like we're beginning to see his levels improve now as well. I'd agree with that. And I thought the enthusiasm and the desire to impress um, within him was something that was very clear to see. And I know it's something we've seen going back to that first friendly against Deerham. So I don't want to play, praise him too much for that because we've discussed how that's not enough. But as soon as he, he's come on, you've seen him sprinting around and... He makes what I think Alex Neal felt was a foul um, before, in the lead-up to that second goal. But to see him towards the back end of goals, um, finding that pass for Nunez was something we've been calling on, on him to do throughout the season, really. And 
trying to think back to when he was last that heavily involved in a goal. I think it was against Coventry when he's played a lovely pass through to Josh Sargent to hold up and then lay off to, to Kieran Dow to score. And that's a big gap for somebody who in the Championship is is seen as a, a sort of chief creator and certainly, especially outside the Norfolk bubble, is now understood by the rest of the league to be one of the top players in that department. Um, I think Norwich fans, given the performances he's produced before at a higher level as well, are totally right to expect more from him and to see him involved in the way that he was today um, was was really, really good to see and you get the sense he's a bit of a confidence player because, you know, he had that 2018-19 season which was sort of his breakthrough, didn't produce a lot and maybe there were questions about how much he was going to feature in the subsequent Premier League campaign. Then as soon as he puts two or three good performances together at that level, he, he soars and has the best period of his career. Then as, as soon as he loses that form, he's he's not really on that level for a, another you know couple of years, really. So it feels like he's probably the sort of confidence player that will get a lot from that performance today and from that contribution to the Gabriel Sarah goal. Um, so I think it's good news for, for Norwich in the long term that they've got a player like that. And... You know, with somebody like Marcelino Nunez maybe now finding a little bit more of a natural level for somebody who's just come from a very different league in the Chilean league, it's probably good to see another source of creativity um, come come from you know a, a different area because what was Norwich City's undoing in a big way in the Premier League last time was losing the pretty much the sole creator that they had in the Championship in 2020 and 2021. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's very encouraging to see him contributing those sorts of performances. It's the type of performance I feel we maybe needed um, a reminder that he can produce because at the start of the season when he'd had a long time without a Norwich shirt, I think that absence maybe made the collective heart grow fonder amongst the, the Norwich City fan base. But I've seen recently discourse sort of on social media and among Norwich fans that they maybe wouldn't be too upset if he was released from his contract at the end of the season, and that tells you maybe how how much that shine has has worn off in in some quarters of the supporter base. Um, and I think he really needed that that reminder. I don't know where it's come from. You know, I've just said I was that he seems to me quite a confidence player. So based on not being able to produce those sorts of moments for a long time, you have to give him credit for having the right attitude and still believing that he can do that because that wasn't the past of somebody who was lacking confidence or um, didn't see themselves as a creator. It was between two defenders, it was into the box. And those are the sorts of passes that, you know, teams pay, pay the big bucks for. And those those are the sorts of players that are the hardest to find. So if he can continue producing moments like that, um, it will be of great use to Norwich City, but it's almost similar to the discussion we had about the the whole team a little bit earlier when we said about the consistency because two of those moments so far in the season really isn't enough for a player of his talents and a player who a lot of people earmarked as, as having a big season, even in the Premier League, you know, sort of a year and a half ago. So you certainly want to see him build on that and if that's a one-off, it's it's not really enough. Um but if he can produce moments like that more regularly, and I, I certainly believe he can, especially with a little bit of confidence behind him, um, then he could be like a, a fantastic new signing for, for Norwich. And it's a little bit of a cliche, but to have 
that bonus coming from somewhere. Um, and it's a bit of no comparison to make with Ty Cantwell, but I remember Seb Basson coming back into the, the group in, I think it was January 2015, and the, the massive impact that had. He was a player that was already at the club, and he added another level to a defence that had looked shaky under Neil Adams. Now, Todd Cantwell can maybe do this this season after having a, a sort of middling first period in the season. Can he come and add something to an attack that's looked like it maybe needs another dimension? If he can continue to produce moments like this, he can, and, and that could be massive for Norwich in the future. I mean, the one thing for me that has never changed with Todd Cantwell is when he when he plays like he did today, and and to a, to an extent how he played last weekend. Although I thought they were they were different performances, which we'll get into in a moment. But when he plays like that, he's he's glorious to watch. He he really is. Um, just in terms of how he moves and how he how he um, technically how he how he how he plays the game is. It's really watchable. He's a really watchable footballer when he, when he's in that form, and I guess that's why when he's out of form, it becomes quite difficult because he can look quite luxury, I think, and and whatnot. Which is why I was impressed with last weekend because it felt to me I don't I don't know if this is something that's happened consciously or something that's happened unconsciously, but it feels to me like when he initially came back to Norwich, there was a real desire, as we said, to make an impression, and that kind of was. I need to score a goal. I need to create something. I need to. I need to impact uh, an attacking phase of play by doing something really noticeable. Whereas now, I think he obviously had that injury that meant he's he's been sidelined for a bit. He's been in, in and out of the team. Sheffield United felt to me like him almost going back to basics and focusing on the overall performance. And because uh, you know, much like with a team, if you're a player, if you if you get that aspect right, I think you do get your just rewards with it. And and we kind of saw it today as well a focus on no I'm going to go and win the ball back and then I'm going to play the pass and it doesn't matter if, if that ends in an assist or not it's kind of a focus on the overall game and and that shift again whether consciously or unconsciously feels quite important for him which which I guess I mean you mentioned his contract it, it does beg the question now if you were Stuart Webber obviously we've got a World Cup break um, coming up would you be using it to to start talks on a, on a new deal for him or, or, or do you still feel we need to perhaps see a little bit more from him. I guess it probably in terms of output really is, is probably where this conversation leads before we enter the realms where a new contract becomes a possibility. Well, there's a big elephant in the room in that discussion and that's Norwich City's finances at the moment. We know and we've reported on it that they could be in hot water if they're not promoted um, probably this year, but certainly in the next couple of years. And um, I think that may well dictate a lot of the contract discussion. But I, I guess the caveat to that is if you have a player like him and you can and it's a big if but if you can get this sort of consistency out of him he's someone who is going to make you money isn't he yeah uh, and if it was any normal situation i've i've taken the fun out of the discussion a little bit there by mentioning the financial situation but if it was any normal situation um it's not really much of a gamble to give todd campwell um that opportunity is it and Perhaps even the fact that he hasn't been totally impressive the last year or so works in their favour at the moment because his value, you look at how much they'll have to give him wages-wise now compared to what they might have had to give him when there was interest in him from Arsenal. And that's that's vast, you know, there's a vast difference in those two sums of money. So perhaps now um, it's a little bit like capitalising when the housing market is down, you know. You need to you need to go in there. Yeah, yeah. This, this pod's <laughs> taking a turn, dear me. Excellent analogies from me, but... um. No, it's. Uh, I think it's a situation where things probably do work in Norwich City's favour in the going into contract negotiations, but it is a little bit more of a gamble than if they had waited maybe three months. Um, 
you know, they, they could wait three months and he could score eight goals and then there's he's got four clubs willing to take him for free next summer and he's got, you know, various offers from various clubs and his value rockets and, and that's something Norwich won't want to take a gamble on. So I'm interested to see how, how they deal with that situation. There's no doubt, given how far in advance they plan, um, that those those discussions will already be being had, whether it's maybe not even with Todd Cantwell, but somebody's having a discussion in that football club at a high level about Todd Cantwell's contract situation. Um, Dean Smith spoke at the start of the season that he needed to earn it and it's been a, a good amount of time since then. So I suppose it, it's still um, being weighed up and it's still in the balance, but Todd Cantwell certainly is playing like somebody that wants a new contract. Um, and if he can he can continue to produce, it's an absolute no-brainer. But, you know, it could be, again, it could be a situation that we're sat here in two weeks' time and he's put in four poor performances and it's looking ludicrous that we were suggesting he would he would be in line for a new contract anytime soon um so it's probably one to to watch out for um and it, it probably is one where the longer things go on the more Norwich will, will understand about the situation but given the the need to take risks that they've spoken about regularly with their financial models maybe less given recent developments but given how often they've spoken about the requirement to take risks um, maybe they will need to do that sooner rather than later. He'd be at the top of my list. I've got to say, out of the, out of the players who are out of contract next summer, he'd be at the top of my list to, to, to get a new deal just because of, I feel like, irrespective of what direction Nor- Norwich go in from here, he's going to have some form of role to play. Either he's involved in the rebuild and what comes next, and that will have to be a youthful, younger-looking Norwich City side, and, and I think there's a massive role for him in that. Or if it was promotion, even 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 still, I still think he's a player worth taking that risk on at this stage, at this moment, and particularly if he can continue with the type of performance that we saw from the bench today. Obviously, like you say, it's now about consistency. I think people forget how young he is as well at points. Um, but yeah, I, I I would be I would be starting those conversations pretty swiftly. I have to say um, because that is a player who, even now, Norwich could 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 make real real money on particularly of course given he, he came through the academy pad just um just on on today i, I mean this result in terms of dean smith because there's been a lot of focus on on him uh and you know we, we spoke pretty much a whole podcast in the middle of the week was was on him and and his position what what does what does this do for him now in in the short term um do you do you think this win i guess it, um, probably trying to look into a crystal ball a bit but to me it feels like this win will probably given how close we are to the World Cup break allow him to get to that point unless some, unless things went really off a cliff from, from here which I, to be honest I don't really see happening No no um, and I'm not even going to hypothesise QPR come here and win four or five and well that might go down but uh, Well I guess that's the question because if if, yeah. if, if QPR is another step back. It's almost going to feel like we're back at square one, isn't it? So, so I guess his, it, it, although it's probably eased, it's not completely gone away. That question. Oh no, it's definitely not gone away. No, and that is the problem now because they've lost a fair chunk of ground and failed, you know, alarmingly to plateau out. You know, even if they won th- three or four of the last eight rather than one of the last eight prior to this afternoon, um, then there isn't this crescendo of noise around his his position which is inevitable you know if you're the the book stops with that guy ultimately and and if he's failing 
to that degree, then you know we've seen it. What are we up to now? Nine, ten championship changes managerial wise this season already. Um, frightening turnover. Um, so you know there's respite now. You know there won't be any talk in the next period about Dean Smith and his future and time to get him out the door and find a replacement and Russell Martin and did da 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 da. Um, but the reality is, you know, if they, I don't know, win one of the next three, lose one, draw one, then we're not materially that further on. And those questions will still overhang for that month-long pause for the World Cup. Um, and then if they don't start well the other side in the run-up to the festive swing, then we'll be back here again. And 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 But, of course, then it's the urgency increases because you know you're getting further and further into a season that they have to be competing at the right end of it and if they're not materially doing that it, there's a different dynamic to 30 games left of the season and 20 games or 15 games left if we get into early part of 2023 so and he'll know that ultimately he'll know that they have to build on this now today um and you know ideally get a win against QPR and then the madness of the championship suggests that you know they'll be firmly back in that mix. I think they've gone back into the top six after t- today's results. So that just underlines it. You know, yes, it felt like they slipped away quite dramatically from where they were, but fundamentally they've won second game in nine now and they're back in the top six. So you know they follow that up over the next two or three games, then it's going to look like a good platform for the second half of the season. And, and I thought it was interesting actually post Burnley when Dean Smith reflected on these next four games but more or less packaged it in terms of just getting ourselves into a position where we can really put the you know the accelerator down post world cup break get you know maybe some of these injured players back fully fit um and then really have a concerted attempt at ideally getting in the top two but if it's not to be then the top six um so it feels like we're we're in a positioning period now it's just about placing them in a position where they haven't lost too much ground post World Cup break and that they can, you know, really string results, ideally performances together. Um and if you do that, you know, we've seen it with Burnley uh, now, most notably, you get on a winning seam, uh, you can fairly quickly shoot up the table in this league. And that, as he said himself after the Burnley game, came from much further back when he was with Villa, albeit that was through the playoffs. But um I don't think he's panicking or doubting his ability to get Norwich in the top six. But, uh, you know, that said, can you imagine if if it is another defeat we're, we're dissecting this evening? I, I think most of the discussion would have been about the reaction because it would have been pretty negative, pretty toxic. Uh, and inevitably, part of that conversation would have been, is it time up for Dino? So that is the tightrope he's walking, basically, that, you know, He's now in a position where he really can't afford, certainly can't afford another run like he's just ended, you know, one win from eight. Because if we have another prolonged fallow period on that scale, um, he might not survive, I don't think. No, someone someone in the live blog put it quite aptly as, uh, and said the the plank that he's walking at the moment is has got a little bit longer. And, and obviously the hope for him is that the ship reaches its destination before he goes off the other side. Um, that That's certainly maybe where it feels at, the, at this moment in time. Sam, just to, to finish on this game before we, we go and speak on, to, on on sort of other matters, there, there will be some and, and, you know, there will be some who, you know, I don't think we're any closer to kind of an answer really on when Ori City are going to finish and, and what 
what you know whether Dean Smith is, is going to end this season as Norwich City head coach as perhaps we were when we arrived it's just probably uh, the pressure around it has eased somewhat um, QPR on, on Wednesday that's a massive test isn't it against a team who like Burnley like Sheffield United have been up there at the right end of the table who do look well coached who have been well structured um, but themselves fi- find themselves in a little bit of a stodgy period of form as well so an an opportunity for Norwich, I guess, given today and, and given the platform that they've set themselves, if they can take it a step further and beat QPR with a, a fairly convincing performance, suddenly from the world looking rosier tonight, it looks considerably rosier um, post that, if, if that was the event that, that, or that was the way that the events transpired in the week. Yeah, I think it will be a good opportunity to, to assess where Norwich are again because they don't really have momentum going in either direction. You know, we're talking prior to this game, obviously, it's all going downhill. Um, but now I don't think they've done enough to totally turn things around. Um, you know, it wasn't the ideal performance that probably tells people they've got enough to get promoted for sure. Um, but they're also, you know, not in that rut anymore and they come up against the QPR side who also don't have. Too much momentum either way. They've had some some mixed results in in recent times, but we know they're a a decent enough side. They've been in and around it pretty much the whole season. So it's one of those where, and it feels bizarre to still feel like we need to assess where Norwich are this far into the season, but it feels like we do, and this feels like it's it's quite a good opportunity um, to do that. So I'm looking forward to to seeing where they are compared to one of their sort of closer league rivals. This is the first time I think they've played without the burden of that negative momentum really since um, Isaac Hayden came into the team and and since he's been capable of playing periods longer than sort of 45 minutes. Um, So yeah, there's there's a number of factors that I think Norwich fans are still keen to assess and still keen to get a read on and and Wednesday's game will be a, a good opportunity for them to do that. But also, I'm sure Dean Smith, if he got to choose a team in the the championship to to face when they're trying to build on, you know, a very slim margin of positivity, he certainly wouldn't be choosing QPR. So, um, you know, they're going to bring a lot of high quality championship <laughs> players. They're going to bring a, a well coached, organised, and coherent team. That's you know, sort of all the things Norwich maybe have have been lacking at times this season and have been criticised for not being. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that measuring stick. But as you said, if they do manage to win that, um, we know how, how quickly things turn in football. Um, as Paddy referenced, you know, from all the doom and gloom, today they are, as we speak, in the playoffs. Um, so we know how quickly things can change in football and those two wins would, would probably do a lot for the, the mood around Carrow Road. Um you know, as as I've said, sort of throughout the podcast, it's still going to take more than that, I believe, um, for the rest of the season, and especially with the goal of of Premier League sustainability. Nothing they've done so far this season suggests they'd even be remotely close to staying in the Premier League um, with this side. But you know, in the short term, they they probably do need to put a little bit of a run together, and and they're they're not facing QPR at the best time, but they're probably not facing them at the worst time, given how electric they've looked at times this season. Um, so, yeah, going to be interesting to, to see that one and interesting to see how, how Norwich are looking against QPR. The fact that they've had two home games in, in what will it be, five days, um, they'll feel slightly more positive after this result and after the way that they finished the game. Um, 
this afternoon as well. So, yeah, lots lots of things to 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 be positive about, and that will be amplified no end if they do manage to to win against QPR. Um, but it's all about building another run because that's what the championship's about. Um, you know, speaking of how that's gone, Alex Neal's whole period at Norwich was basically built on long periods of positive and negative momentum and, and at, at the end um, he had one spell of negative momentum that, that outweighed the positive one they had at the start of the season and that saw an end to his, his campaign so Norwich will just be looking to get into that run, um, get a few wins under their belt going into the World Cup break and then be able to look back on things and say actually if you look at the thing as a, a wider picture um, the season's looking pretty pretty good and they'll certainly be able to do that if they, they beat QPR. So I'm sure they, they see it as a big opportunity, especially after today. Maybe they would have seen it as something to fear had, had today not gone the way it had. But um, I think this is the perfect springboard for them going into that game and it will be a, a very interesting clash that hopefully possesses a little bit more quality than, than we've seen at Carrow Road in, in recent games. Yeah, and, and you know, for everything, for all of the context, for all of the, the kind of tactical and, and nuanced elements of it, sometimes you just need a little bit of luck and a little bit of fortune and, um, you know, not to be not to be disrespectful to any of the teams that Norwich are going to come up against in the next three weeks. I think they, they probably find them in relatively good moments. Uh, today, for example, they, they face the Soak side who've lost the last two and, uh, and are struggling a little bit in, in the final third. And I think today epitomised that. You've got a QPR side who probably aren't the same QPR side that they were pre-Mick Beal being linked with Wolves. Um, although you know, as as we as we always know, there's there's some danger that can come with that. Rotherham likewise haven't been so far the same beast under under Matt Taylor as they 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 were under um, uh, Paul Warren. And, and then you've got Middlesbrough, who obviously have just appointed a new manager themselves. So it does feel like a period of opportunity, providing they can they can kind of win and up their performance level. And then suddenly you go into a World Cup break and you're able to take stock. My fear would be that we're kind of seeing a Norwich team maybe that is going to become very streaky. And if you do that, it's it's quite difficult to, to, to retain your space kind of in that bracket between about fourth and eighth because of, of how the championship moves. But the issue in the short term is, is, is just getting through to that international break and, and they've got an opportunity now to get some points on the board which is much needed as as, as Pad said earlier to to make up for some lost ground um to, to end the pods then pad um let, let's speak about um that anthony richens video that, that the club published because uh, and i want to i want to add some some kind of balance to this first and foremost because I actually felt for f- before maybe well thirteen minutes essentially was was actually quite interesting stuff, quite insightful stuff. For example, nobody's really picked up on the fact that he basically said Norwich City don't have any money in in January to do any business, which I think we kind of knew anyway. Um, there was some interesting stuff around stadium redevelopment. There was some interesting stuff uh, around uh, Mark Atanasio, of course, and and his involvement. There was some stuff around safe standing. Uh, and all of it kind of got lost because of a, an answer on a question that it probably didn't really feel like it should have been him answering. I think that's that's probably fair to say. So I have a little bit of sympathy for him, but equally the various stages that that probably got to to go live, the fact it did, uh, I guess, probably maybe is is the concern that Nor- some Norwich City fans have taken from it. What what did what did you make of it? And I guess the reaction to it, which which hasn't been particularly positive by all accounts. Well, I mean, if you could excuse the finance pun. Yeah, 
Exactly, yeah, balance sheet. Yeah, it, I mean, on the point about him answering questions or being asked questions about the fan element, funny enough, before today's game, I spoke to somebody at the club who was keen to make the point that that's the latest in this insight series from executive personnel, um, that if you go back and listen to the Sam Jeffrey one and the Neil Adams one, they both sort of spoke about, in more general terms, maybe the fan base and that engagement element. Now, obviously... It was a very specific question that was put to him about this. Um, you know, is there a, a disconnect uh, with you know your supporter base or the local media? And he certainly, Rickins certainly, was of an opinion. There's no issue with the fan base and how they connect with their fan base. Um, you can debate that, um, but with the local media, uh, you know, there's there's plenty we could say on this topic. We choose not to. Um, suffice to say what I would say on the back of uh, the point he made about a breach of trust I think was the phrase or, or words to that effect um, that I've had clarification on that and uh, it regards our breaking of the uh, the original Atanasio story and that we you know in their their view uh, that we wouldn't maybe um you know work with them on that and sit on that story um and then at a later point which isn't our job today we'll have to clarify well as i was very quick to point out uh, when that was put to me that um, we're not a pr arm for the football club uh, never have been never will be we're there to essentially uh inform occasionally entertain um but very occasionally <laughs> very occasionally but essentially we're there for the fan base our readers our subscribers our um, podcast listeners, podcast listeners, yeah, viewers on the YouTube and Facebook channels, all the platforms that you can consume Norwich City content under the Pinkham banner. We are there to serve our audiences. We're not there um, to work hand in glove with a football club who didn't want to to run that story at that time. Um, so I take great exception um, with Mr. Rickens uh, putting out there that there's been a, a breach of trust uh, with the local media. Um, but we won't get into the whys and wherefores of where the relationship has meandered since, you know, going back to events around last season's Newcastle game and Stuart Webber. Um, but suffice to say, um, I don't think we are in a good place with the football club. And it's not just Archant or NewsQuest as we are now. It's, I'm sure, the other local media... Uh, actors, they would say the same, but I'm not going to speak on their behalf. And um, I don't think that's a healthy situation to be in. Um, and just to, to set the record straight, one certain individual who uh, claimed on social media very recently that there had been no um, moves made on our part uh, to to um, you know look to de-escalate this scenario. That couldn't be further from the truth. I've had three individual attempts at doing that with uh, people uh, at Norwich City Football Club. The most recent was uh, the Preston home game, um, where I was very clearly told that um, they basically are very happy with how the situation is now and they don't need us and that they're happy to go carrying on down this route, um, which I find a staggering state of affairs, particularly against the backdrop of um, you know a sense, whether they want to agree to it or not, that there is... A struggle to connect with their fan base and wrapped around, you know, an a, a underperforming team. Let's put it that way uh, to be charitable. Um, fundamentally, um, it needs two parties to to have a willingness to de-escalate, and uh, there's only one party that I can see at the minute who are willing to do that. So, 
you know, we'll continue to, as I say, try and inform and occasionally entertain. Um, and as a result, you know, that that's kind of where we're at with it. But um, but but just uh, of of that whole interview um, from the finance director, the, the the line around a breach of trust. Um, I would dispute that in the strongest terms possible. But uh, if there's only uh, one part of the narrative that um, that they wish to uh, to focus on, then um, you know maybe they need to put themselves forward for a bit more external scrutiny, which hitherto um, they've seemingly uh, decided they're not wishing to do. Certainly over the last twelve months, um, and you know that's for them to answer. But uh, it's not a healthy situation. It doesn't suit any party, and it certainly doesn't suit their fan base. Our readership, our but, subscribers. But also within that, the, the, the people who lose are the fans, right? Because, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fundamentally, um, if they they wish to put us to the side or the local media to the side, they can do. But who misses out? We don't miss out. We're still at every game, every press conference. Um, we will we will provide the level of coverage um, as good as anywhere you'll get in the regional media, in my opinion. And fundamentally, uh, if they're not willing to to uh, you know work with us and then it's the fan base who miss out and they would have, I'm sure, a very different take on that and they would say that, that their own club media channels provide every element of information or uh, you know coverage of the football club that a fan would want. Um, I'd politely ask them to maybe sit down with a few fans and ask them if they're happy with the coverage they're getting on the club's channels, particularly when the results are heading south um, because, as we all know, um, you know, do you get that? Again, external scrutiny, I would suggest you don't uh, on, on an internal club media channel. But as I said, we could go round in circles. But fundamentally, two things. Um, a breach of trust, no. Uh, and secondly, we have made, um, well, I've made three attempts now since the end of last season. Uh, and on all three occasions, um, the club have been unwilling to pick up the olive branch. So that's where we are. Yes, and uh, you know, as ever, we we of course did ask to speak to Anthony Rickens around the accounts, and that request was uh, was declined. So that's that's fine. But um, it would have been nice, for example, to ask around the loans because it kind of touched. They were touched upon, but they weren't really didn't really go in a great deal of depth. For example, um, well, it, again, kind of touched upon it and danced around it, but it was never really okay. But what's why why they were taken out in the first place? What they were covering, and what the future means because of that. So that's the sort of uh, that's the sort of question um, that that we're that we're at. And then, of course, uh, I've just come back to you, Paddy, because we're in a in a position now that um, we will we'll we'll be having the AGM very short. Norwich City will be having the the AGM very shortly before the World Cup break, November the tenth. Letters have have gone out to shareholders. Um, just talk to us a little bit about what that situation looks like this year, and for shareholders, for for media, what what can people expect from from that meeting? Because it is usually regarded as as a moment where there is scrutiny placed on people at the top of the of the football club. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, as long as I've been covering this football club, and and long before me, um, the local media would all, always have been present. Uh, and then within the format of of those annual meetings, you know, shareholders very free form. There used to be a Q and A section, um, and they were able to hold that top table to account. And uh, and obviously, I'll look a random figure. If there was two hundred, two hundred and fifty shareholders present at Car Road on any given AGM, there was far more 
of their fan base through our channels, through through more broadly local media channels who would be able to get chapter and verse of the key events from, from that AGM the, the following day. Um, but as it stands, uh, it's been intimated to us that we won't be uh, able to attend. As I say, that's the first that's, time. That's all media, by the way. Well, yeah, I mean... All, all we can probably say, Connor, is that that's us. But, but I mean, we we are led to believe it will be all yeah, media. Yeah. But, but certainly in terms of us, we won't we won't be present. Um, and going back to my previous point about external scrutiny and 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 who misses out here, i.e. their fan base, then you know that is an unprecedented situation. And and having spoken to the club, uh, I'm being told that the you know Norwich have been a bit of an anomaly in terms of how they deal with annual meetings uh, and allowing the press to to attend. Um, and that the vast majority of other clubs don't do that. Well, that's fine, but the, we're not talking about the vast majority of other clubs. We're talking about Norwich City and what their fan base and, are, and it's used also, to. Sorry to interject again, but it's also how they how you project yourself, isn't it? Norwich City don't project themselves as as any other football club. They are outward looking. They are community focused. They are supporter driven. They are owned by supporters, as they as they like to to make the case. Indeed. So. You can't present yourself to be that and then try and fall in line with other clubs who don't present themselves as that because each club is, is unique and, indi- and, and, and individual as it should be. Exactly. I mean, and if you go back to when Mr Webber walked through the door, um, they didn't want to run with the herd. They wanted to be different. They wanted to be innovative and strike out on their own and try and push the envelope. And, and that's a more broadly philosophical path that he, he set that club on. But but if you bring it back round to this, you know, this episode it's the same deal really that you know do it because that's how it's always been done don't don't decide now that you want to do it a different way because that's how other clubs have already always done it and as i say you know they'll have to message that out but um but as we've got into this topic here it probably is worth point, pointing that out that there won't be any as we understand it local media attending the annual meeting for the first time in decades i would say and um again how is that a healthy situation and if we're led to believe um, there'll be no Q&A on the night either. It'll be submitted questions in advance from shareholders, which, what's the terminology, Connor, that the board will then... Select, so there's a range of topics. But I, I think it's probably worth saying, that I don't think it explicitly says there won't be a Q&A, but that's, that's what's inferred on that letter, certainly my reading of it anyway. So there you go. So, um, you know, if that is that is what they wish to do with their annual meeting, then... That is different. That is different, and they will need to message why they've decided to embark on on this path. But uh, you know, it's not poor old Archant, poor old Newsquest. It's you know, how how is that best serving their fan base? And they'll they'll shoot back. I'm sure that the the club media channels will cover the annual meeting. But again, will there be external scrutiny? No. So you know, you know, if they think their fan base will be happy consuming the club media channels, then then so be it. But uh, you know. I think the reaction to the Rickens interview would suggest otherwise. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not about us, and it's not about other local media channels. It is that word you use there, scrutiny, and it's it's so important in my belief. If you are in a business that is outward looking, is in the public eye, that your decisions are held up and they are questioned, and you are asked why has this happened, why are you doing this? So, but also so you can explain because. You know, you speak to a lot of fans, and, and and it's a point raised that it's the lack of knowing why things are happening that is is the main thing, and it's such a shift in, in terms of ideology, I suppose, to what was initially presented in in twenty seventeen. Um, yeah, there we go. That seems like a a nice note to end the pod on. Thank you very much 
for listening. Of course, Pinkin.com and the Pinkin Plus app, the place to go uh, for all your, your coverage ahead of this week. We'll be at Carrow Road, uh, as far as we know, on Wednesday to, to cover the game against QPR. So we'll see you all then. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon.